Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as always, I am joined by... No audio issues here, Beth! <laughs> Free and clear, Sam. Et je suis Caleb. Oh, you, Caleb. Lord. <laughs> oh. Way. Way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if everything goes well, the editing should clear everything up, and this will all make no sense to you because the episode sounds just fine. But we're dealing with some <laughs> things here. How are you? I say to our uh, hypothetical uh, listener. Uh, yeah, the listener. Yeah. How are? Yeah. How are you guys? That yeah. was a bespoke question just for you. Yeah. This is like a door of the explorer bit where we're going to pause and let you answer and then we'll keep going. And ironically, half of us sound like we're from Door of the Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> uh. For context, we are here like half of us are hearing half of the rest of us like we are cartoon characters and or on helium. Uh so it's if we take strange. each other's hard-hitting analysis a little less seriously this episode, please forgive us. Yeah, this wanted. bit, Justin, you need to keep in the the high pitch stuff. The rest of it, edit to sound normally, but this part needs to stay the same. Yeah. So at least this <laughs> makes sense. You you've now committed me that if the local recording works, then I have to re-edit it to you sound to... pitched up. <laughs> <laughs> but from here books. on out, we'll sound super normal. Three, two, one, books. And Marsh is torturing people and murdering them. Yeah, Marsh. we're here at the beginning of Hero of Ages. Uh, this is the start of our final book of the uh, Mistborn Era 1 trilogy. Uh, and oh boy, am I excited for this one. Me too. I'm hungry for more, mostly. Yeah, no, this... Uh, th well, I, I think I mentioned last time the the way that the chapters broke down was a little strange in that our first couple of episodes as we get through part one are on the shorter side from what I prefer to do. Uh, so I don't blame you there, but things are definitely going to uh, pick up steam and and just take off throughout this book. So I'm I'm very much excited for it. So yeah, our uh, section for this week uh, was the prologue. We once again have a prologue. Uh, and then the first four chapters of part one. So uh, Caleb already mentioned it as we are hard swerving into uh, Marsh torturing someone to death. So <laughs> why don't we just get started? Mm. With the, the first five words is, is not the same five words as Final Empire. That's for sure. Sure is not. A little darker. Yeah, this, uh, the whiplash we are experiencing from our cartoon voices <laughs> for this, so uh, it's so gr grim beginning of this book is a little strange, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a grim beginning. Yeah. It's also just worth noting that I, I have picked up that the kind of symbols we get, um, at the beginning of every chapter and on the maps and stuff, um, they all appear to be what I've assumed to be allomantic symbols, but uh, they definitely do like look like spikes being driven into things. And for this prologue, it's just a spike. It's just um, a single spike. I think I might have like brought that up at some point of that being significant, but having the prologue be the single spike and the prologue also features uh, spikes heavily in a very uncomfortable way is, is pretty striking. Uh, a brief tangent before we get to the the rest of the contents of the chapter, because 
that is a, a good observation that I just wanted to provide some more context for. Uh, the, the, the chapter symbols are what are called the steel alphabet. Uh, it is an in-universe writing system that was presumably uh, either designed or imposed by the Lord Ruler and his, uh, his empire. Uh, and so, yes, they, they definitely do feature uh, spikes pretty heavily in the motifs. Mm. Mm. Speaking of spikes being heavily featured in motifs, we've got some inquisitors around here. We sure do. We have, uh, <laughs> we have one in particular. This is, like we said, this is a, a Marsh POV. Uh, and the last few times we've seen Marsh, there's been various amounts of, for lack of a better term, inquisitorness. Uh, <laughs> we we hit the beginning of this book, which we find out uh, once we hit chapter one, has had a decent time skip since the end of Well of Ascension. Marsh is not in a good place here. Yeah, he's doing pretty bad. No. Yeah. But um, this continues the trend of me uh, not saying things that would have earned me podcast points. Because we were rushing through, like, what's going to happen with each character. And I wrote down um, that Marsh is forced to do spooky stuff, obviously. Um, we're going to learn how to make an Inquisitor, which we're doing right here. Sure Hooray. Driving a brass spike through a guy. It's great. Um, and also, this, I don't know if it's true yet, but it seems like it, um, that the Inquisitors follow Ruin and not Rashik. Mm-hmm. Kind of. That is the the identification that that Marsh gives to it to this force that uh, at sometimes seems to have literal direct influence over him. Pennywise, assuming direct control. I'm sorry, there's going to be a lot of Mass Effects these days. Did you hear me pause midway through so I did not say that exact phrase? <laughs> Another thing that we get in this intro, which is one of those uh, more minor but still uh, nice for, for Beth and I of finally we can actually use this term or say this word or whatnot, uh, hemallergy, which I'm pretty yeah. sure is, is, is the first time this has, has shown up on page. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, 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 otherwise, I was not paying attention. <laughs> uh, this is such a strange word that I would have flipped out in my notes if we'd seen it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, what do you mean, Kendra? What do you mean? Hemallergy. <laughs> There's also a few other, like, kind of world-building details. We find out that the Inquisitors, the way they see, quote-unquote, is by just being able to sense element, like, using alimentic powers to sense metals all around them so they can see people, mm-hmm. which is very cool. I am curious if, like, an Inquisitor was in a desert and there were no living things around would they just be actually blind? Because it seems like you kind of have to rely on people. I don't know. I don't know how many trace metals there are in the desert, but this seems like it would not actually solve being able to see everything around you. There is some answer to that, to um, this gets called at some point, it gets called steel sight by some of the characters. There is some answer as to like how... Steel Sight actually looks and functions, uh, but I can't remember when, so we'll just we'll get to it when we get to it. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, in regards to hemolurgy, uh, Brandon has said that uh, in many ways you can think of the Era One trilogy 
as being a book about each magic system uh, in that they all factor in during all of them. But in a lot of ways, The Final Empire is a book about Allomancy. Well of Ascension is a book about Ferrochemy, and we've now hit the book about Hemalurgy. Mm. Interesting. Sounds like a grim time ahead it of sure us. Does. I was going to say, it is a, quote, messy art. Yep. Mm. I think that's like the first thing that we learned at all about Hemalurgy uh, was at the end of Final Empire when Marsh came back and was refusing to elaborate on how they make Inquisitors. And it turns out this is why. He just said the process was messy. It's In fact, we already knew that before uh, Marsh came back because they got to where they were supposed to meet up with Marsh and it was a bloodbath and they were like, yeah. well, Marsh must be dead because there's definitely enough blood in here for a dead person to have been here. Yep. And it's also, it's it's a very, it's a specifically interesting process because it's not just there's a person being tortured and then getting turned to Inquisitor. You have to put, it's it appears you have to put spikes through someone and then all the way through them into someone else. And then that's how you get the magic going. Um, because in this particular scene, it's not the terrorist being turned into an Inquisitor, I don't think. It's whoever is beneath the 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 terrorist I still have I still have hope that we will be getting a, a terrorist inquisitor because I think that would be really interesting. Um, but yeah, we don't get a lot of details on who's underneath the person being tortured aside from Marsh does call him an inquisitor. Yes. So yeah, uh, I I thought we did get a a, a keeper inquisitor. Uh, in fact, I was very angry in my notes about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> when they're when they're fighting the uh, the the um keeper in chapter what chapter three um and it uses like enhanced speed that's a good question then how does that happen huh some sort of awful thing i don't know it's probably messy (laughs) well yeah we'll have to check in on that when we get to that fight uh but yeah at least in in this particular scene here um the the one referred to as the inquisitor is uh strapped down below this this particular keeper who is having a spike driven through him so it's a uh it, it's not a nice process in any sense of of the imagination yeah it's bad yeah so uh let's cut from there to how are the rest of the uh, the characters doing still not well great uh We'll start with uh, part one, Legacy of the Survivor, uh, which now that we're back into the chapters themselves, we have more epigraphs. uh, And we start with easily my favorite epigraph in the entire series. I am, unfortunately, the hero of ages. Yeah, but like, who are you, though? I mean, that's a good question. (laughs) I will say at this point, reading just this, I was like, all right, pack it up. I was wrong. It's Rauschek. Um, <laughs> as we will eventually see, there's something kind of complicating that, but um, yeah, this is a uh, this is quite the the opening epigraph for sure. This time, I'm paying a lot closer attention to the friggin' epigraphs. <laughs> uh, I have in my notes not just like what's in the epigraphs, but like what we've learned so far, and I'm 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 doing it. I'm walking through it. I'm gonna pay attention this time. I promise. One, I already fear for how long your notes will be by the end of this. Two, 
we get some meaty epigraphs coming up, so if you manage to not pay attention to them, I would be impressed. <laughs> oh yeah, for for Hero of Ages in particular, uh, I know I've gone through and and looked at like the timeline of us reading different things, and I've I've mentioned to Beth about it. There are a couple of points uh, where uh, we're going to be keeping a close eye out on on what you two think of of the epigraphs as we go by. Is that that this little column with an X next to our chapters in the planning doc? I don't remember. I was gonna bring that up what later. What is this X? I I don't <laughs> remember why, but I'm pretty sure that the chapter that I have marked with an X in our planning document has something significant happen, maybe in the epigraph. <laughs> something is messing with our documents. Maybe this is a the classic uh, what like TF two the coconut image. Like, that's the only thing that makes it work. And when we got rid of it, it stopped working. Exactly. God, I've, I've, I've been there. It's integral. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, we, uh, we don't get you know, a lot of text in this first epigraph. Um, but I'm sure in relation to the other three that we have, we'll have, we'll have some thoughts to discuss later. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, we start the book proper. Uh, with, uh, I feel like this is this is fairly usual for uh, beginnings. Uh, with Brandon, is that we start with a a very kind of external outsider POV uh, of this uh, this soldier here, uh, Fatron, who uh, we we see a, a very unfortunate circumstance that these people are in. Uh, this duo of of Fatron and and Druffle. Uh, who are are trying to to guard this town to prepare for the end of the world essentially uh and they have a, a particularly bleak outlook on their situation here and black out black ash fell lightly from the sky which feels like at this point brandon is trying not to actually say word for word <laughs> the lines that we all want to hear i understand him given some things that i've had to do trolling us Brandon! And to make matters worse, much like how I feel about this chapter, um, Fatran is upset that there's not even a hint of Breeze. I wish Breeze was here. <laughs> Just Breeze everywhere. <laughs> breeze at all times. More grapes. We'll, we'll get to the grapes later. I've been assured <laughs> that we will not be able to not discuss the grapes. <laughs> yeah, this is a, uh, this is a, a small town uh, that's somewhere in the final empire. Uh, it's been mostly uh, abandoned. There's a small group of people who who remain here, uh, and they've been trying to kind of make their lives. Uh, but at the the current moment, they are uh, preparing for a coloss assault, and we've seen how well the entire city of Luthadel, with its at least somewhat trained soldiers, was able to withstand that. So uh, this this town here, uh, not in for a good time. Yeah, the, uh, the, the mood does not quite improve from our prologue, huh? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. No, it remains grim. It is interesting, though, um, the, the phrase about the ash falling and the specificity here. Uh, usually the ash is described as more gray. So the fact that it is now black probably a little concerning 
Oh, noteworthy. So we hear more about this uh, this this preparation, this force here. Uh, they have what they optimistically call two thousand soldiers, uh, but he says what they really have is a thousand ska peasants with swords, who have done some training but no real fighting. And they've been told that uh, a a person, a, a single man, has arrived, uh, which is not what they expected. The Kolos don't send out one-person scouting parties. Uh, and so we'll see who has arrived here. Mm -hmm. We'll watch from our bulwark, perhaps behind a Merlin. It's true. <laughs> Can a bulwark have a Merlin? See that's the question. Maybe we're maybe Brandon has Send tweet. <laughs> shifted away from the Merlins and toward the Bloodreds. <laughs> which we'll also get to. The Bloodreds. We're going to have an entire castle assembled at some point piece by piece. <laughs> it's going to be a whack castle. It's just all Merlins and Bulwarks yeah, and it's all red. Say, it's, it's mostly Merlins and no <laughs> Krennels allowed. No. Get those out of here. It would be impressive, given that the two of them kind of exist with each other. Nope. No, not allowed. Only okay. Merlins. <laughs> Only Merlins. Got it. Just continuously rising into the sky. <laughs> well, it's like a, it's like a, um, you know how at a theater, like the, the seats are um, slightly, like per row, the seats aren't like all aligned with each other. So you can see through people's shoulders um, it's like that, except the Merlins are blocking where the Krennel mm -hmm. would be. There's just multiple rows of Merlins. You just have nested Merlins. <laughs> Got it. Yes. Nested Merlins is my new band name. Yep, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> anyway, they're all about to be slaughtered by Kolos. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and this single person has arrived. Uh, I think we catch on fairly quickly before uh, he says it explicitly. Uh, this is the Emperor Ellen Venture, mm -hmm. which we we at the very end of of Well of Ascension we realized where the political landscape has landed, uh, and it's going to be an interesting world to see the consequences thereof. Uh, but we're we're just getting started with that. He's got a beard now. That's fun. He does yeah. have a beard. It's not even a half beard. It's true. It's a full beard. <laughs> Uh, and he has apparently taken one of the first lessons of Mistborn training, uh, which is be incredibly dramatic at all times. Yay! That is true. This is this is just a thing that they must have, I guess. I didn't, I mean, uh, you know, obviously whenever any stranger walks into a town, it's going to be dramatic, but I didn't cotton on to the fact that, yes, this is, this is Mistborn dramatic. This is not... Mm -hmm. <laughs> This is not Emperor Dramatic. This is something beyond even that. <laughs> but funnily enough, the uh, the title doesn't really have a lot of impact here. Uh, Elland is is putting himself into command, trying to, to organize the defenses a little bit better. Uh, and he's he's using his uh, his allomancy to help make his point. Uh, but the the people here, uh, this is not who the emperor is has no bearing on their life up until this point, uh, and so the the title drop there doesn't really make that much of an impact, which I think is a is an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, 
Druffle says emperor and then spits. <laughs> yeah. Just mention real quick. Uh, I'm really glad that we skipped the uh, the part of learning allomancy that is like, oh, you did it, Ellen. You juggled a cube. Oh my gosh, I can feel you pressing on my emotions. I'm glad we're skipping that. Yeah. Yeah, we did not need that this time around. Yeah. No no tutorial, no babby mode for Ellen. He's just amazing at it. Which has its own problems, but still. Yeah, I'm going to wait till the chapter before I get too far into it, but I have my own thoughts on uh, this chapter. So as the, the preparation is continuing, uh, we, we do learn a, a bit about uh, why uh, Elland is here in particular, uh, which is that there is an old ministry building in this town, uh, and apparently there were uh there's something hidden there that uh Elland was expecting to find uh, or expecting them to have found but he is he's going to try to put together a a more competent defense with the people here uh, and mentions that he is in fact bringing two armies to try to help i do like the uh the little bit of of political maneuvering here uh this is something that Elland is perhaps uh, more well equipped for in our eyes uh, where he uh, he talks to Fatrin here, the kind of de facto leader, uh, as if this was Fatrin's idea, uh, and gives him a chance to to kind of save face and say, "Yes, I I sent for the emperor, hoping that he would come help us." Uh, and then Elland can say, "Yes, and now here I am." Uh, so <laughs> they um, Fatrin fortunately catches on, uh, and they have to. Uh, kind of try to negotiate that which it's fun it is a wild uh pull to try to convince people given fatran's initial reaction to who's this person that's waltzing into our town um because it's like a solid five or ten minutes after ellen has arrived when they pull off that conversation i think yeah and for the people to be like oh yeah i bet he did actually invite him here it's like that's not at all coherent with the way Fatrin's been acting for the past 10 minutes. I will give them a pass for being in a uh, a particularly stressful situation here. Oh yeah, it's stressful. Uh, especially when Elland informs them that the, the Kolos army that is inbound is in fact 10,000 strong. Yeah, that's, uh, that's bad news. <laughs> yeah, sure is. Uh, Elland lays it out pretty, uh, pretty plainly here uh, is that uh, he will uh, he will provide the help that he can to defend the city to win this battle. Uh, and Fatrin and the people here uh, will swear an allegiance to him. Uh, and if they don't, he'll take it anyway. And he admits that he's a tyrant. Uh, Ellen, what the fuck? Who are you? <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, I I will say... I acknowledge that this is a, a pretty drastic place to start. Uh, and I will also say that I do appreciate uh, Ellen in this book as a character. Uh, and so I, I hope that that we get to uh, spend more time with him, see what has been uh, what has been happening, what will happen. But yeah, at this point right now, this is this is a little this is a little tough to go through. A little jarring. Yeah, now's probably yeah. I'll get into it. Uh, 
Brenton has done something incredible here in that in the span of one chapter. Uh, I don't really like Ellen again. God damn it! Um, I'm sorry. I uh, there's a lot about how he handles this that I just kind of frustrates me. I I get that he's a mistborn and mistborn have to be dramatic, but I don't know. I'm 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 happy he skipped the beginner phase, but as we find out, he's just like naturally super good and super powerful at at misboarding and i feel like that i'm concerned we haven't gotten a lot yet i'm concerned that will help that will take away from what makes vin such a fun character i don't know if it's been directly confirmed i assume it's because like because he ate one of the beads and it's not from his bloodline it's because he got like it directly from the source that's why he's so powerful but i don't know i just find that a little bit frustrating um I don't love that he's just soothing people left and right instead of using his, like, political mind to convince them. He does a little bit of that, but he's relying a lot on Alamancy as well. That's a little bit frustrating. I don't like that he makes Fatrin into a lord because Fatrin's like, I don't really want to be a lord. And Ellen says, too bad. And maybe Ellen, the Ska who has been underneath a feudal system for his entire life, wouldn't want to become one of the people he associates with being an oppressor. I, it's just so much of this chapter is Ellen automatically deciding what's best. And I understand that's kind of like part of his arc of figuring out does democracy work here? Um, but it is frustrating to see that he has reached this state of, I know it's best. I'm going to make the decisions before anyone else can. Um, and yeah, I don't, it's, it's just very frustrating. Um, and I can't tell if it's frustrating intentionally or unintentionally. I hope it is intentionally. Um, but like we get we get details of Ellen being like, I used to believe in democracy, but now I realize I just have to be a tyrant. And there's the hint of like, maybe one day I, I'll give up my power once everything's settled. And the thing is, I, we're yeah, we're, we're just gonna, I'm talking about fascism today. The way fascism works doesn't function in that once the tyrant says everything is okay, we can just do democracy again. Because at any point, the tyrant can just say, well, democracy is not going the way I want. I'm just going to be a tyrant again. And the thing about being a fascist is you either lie to the people and you know that you're in this for selfish reasons. Or if you truly believe that you know what's best for the people, as Ellen... Uh, Ellen appears to, it's kind of goes against your philosophy to ever give up your power, because if you believe you know what's up, what's best for the people, then giving up your power would be bad in your eyes. So I am skeptical of Ellen's philosophy here, despite the fact that they're in a very rough situation politically. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. It feels like Brandon is trying out an experiment of what if there was a truly well-intentioned fascist leader. And I think there are things inherent in that style of government that are still really bad. And it's very difficult to transition from that to a more idealistic way of running the world. And we're only four chapters in. I am going to wait to see where it goes. As of right now, I'm really uncomfortable with how much Ellen is pushing his weight around. And that's how I feel about that right now. It's fascinating. Let me be clear. I'm enjoying reading it. I am also skeptical of where Ellen is, Ellen's mind is at right now.
Maybe we'll get an anti-Tindwill. <laughs> someone, someone who makes fun of him so that he stops being like his big leader. Yeah, it curves it the like, other calm way. Down. <laughs> we went way too far, man. I will. I I have thoughts, and some run parallel, and some run counter. But I think you are correct in that it is early still, and I. I will reserve thoughts until we've seen more of these dynamics play out so as to not unintentionally tip Brandon's hand. The end. <laughs> the end of that discussion will never bring it up again. No, there. I, I, yeah. there's, there's going to be lots more to talk about as we go. Um, one thing that'll be interesting to balance is that um, at least the way that I feel like it goes, the number of concurrent plot lines that we're going to end up juggling is also going to increase slightly compared to well and especially compared to final empire uh so we will not have as much time devoted to uh ellen and his uh changing views on leadership uh but it is definitely going to be a thing that we're going to to get to look at and then ellen says how to kill a coloss which are tips that he didn't follow himself when he murked the coloss with no powers <laughs> he did just kind of stab a coloss that one time didn't he he ate he his horse. Young. He was still learning. Yeah, so he gives some uh, strategic uh, advice here. Says that they're actually going to prepare for an assault, uh, which sounds like uh, complete lunacy. But apparently, when the Coloss are not prepared, uh, and and they they do seem to have a a very simplistic view on when the fight happens and when it doesn't happen. So going out to assault them literally right now uh, is apparently a, a potential uh, good option to go for uh, he throws in some misborn drama saying that uh, they have him to to win this fight god uh, and then he does a a full-on uh, return of the king charge beautiful and then we will uh, we'll have to get back to that later because right away we're we're jumping away to a different pov as I often do, I need to clarify, I'm enjoying this book a lot so far. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, this next chapter is another big reason why. It is fascinating. Yeah, who called the uh, the Tensoon POV for chapter two? Tensoon? Yeah. I figured he'd be back. Before we get to there, uh, we do have another epigraph, uh, which does... Uh, sort of lean us a particular way as to who's writing this. This is apparently someone who has held a significant divine power and had influence over this planet. And I jumped the gun and said it was Rashik. This feels like Rashik. <laughs> it, at this point, it still feels like Rashik. It will feel like Rashik probably up until we see the word Rashik, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. A subtle clue. <laughs> I have specifically gone through these epigraphs under the the mindset of who did I think it was at this point and or who will Sam and Caleb think it is at this point. So uh, you are not alone in in following this train before the uh, the bit of a swerve at the end of this section. But yeah, we have a uh, a ten soon POV, uh, which sort is... of he doesn't have much view to <laughs> well, yes. keep pointing out. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, a Tensoon perspective? Can you have a perspective yeah. that's not visual? I think so. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I 
we had said that we were going to see Ten soon again, and I think it was uh, it was pretty clear that that he was going to be sticking around. Uh, but this is also kind of an unusual way to uh, to reunite with him. Uh, is I guess kind of the the base form of a Chandra, uh, because he is in the Chandra homeworld uh, and is in prison and does not have a body that he has adapted. He's muscle soup. I don't know if this was a slip or just a typo. Did you mean to say home world, or did you just mean homeland? Uh, yes, I meant homeland. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, I know the Cosmere is big, but that's a, that's a pretty big... I was going to say, yeah, we'll, we'll, just... we'll get to that much, much later. Yeah, the, the Chandra homeland. Yeah, I did have the uh, um, thought in my head of just like, in the future, once this all gets adapted to film or TV or whatnot... There's going to be at least at least one person out there who's like, hey, I missed the first two. Do you think I can see the third one on its own? And their friend is like, I bet they'll explain it towards the beginning. Hey, you can probably do that. And the person is like a little late getting to the theater and stuff to buy their tickets and the movie's already started. And they walk in and with no context about the world of Mistborn, just sees this scene play out of a blob of flesh being taken out of its prison and tortured by acid and just wondering, what the fuck did I walk into? Yeah, what the hell's going on here? Can we can we talk about the genesis of Tensoon now being in jail and being shortly executed? Because I feel like this was entirely avoidable. Like, Potentially it was. I, I'm just envisioning the scene of like him returning to the to the home, home homeland and being like, Hey everybody, uh I, I know you don't know anything about what I did. But I super fucked up, just so you know. <laughs> I betrayed my master and I gave away our, our biggest secret. Um, and I know you would never know that I ever did this. And then there's oh them God, and they're like, sounds bad. <laughs> and then they're like, well, shit, I guess we have to kill you then. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for telling us. Here's your prison cell. <laughs> yeah. What else? What other option do they have than to like execute him? Like, okay. Uh, yeah. But like, I think that, very, that says a lot about Tensoon and about Contra Culture of, yes, this was 100% avoidable, but that would go against the code. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. They got their contracts. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a good chapter for throwing a lot of, of capitalized nouns at us. And, <laughs> and I wrote them all down. <laughs> and the promise that we'll get to them <laughs> later. Uh, but yeah, we get uh, we get some some intriguing tidbits about the, the Contra society away from from humans uh we learn that that there are blessings uh that Tensoon has the blessing of presence uh which which seems to have something with like keeping his mind intact uh we learn that there are generations uh of of Chandra uh what else do we see we see that there is uh there is the first contract in addition to just their individual contracts uh and yeah and then there's then there's acid torture there's acid torture. <laughs> we also specifically know Tensoon is a member of the third generation. And um, from what we can tell, it seems like the second generation is maybe kind of middle management. That's who Tensoon reports back to in a closed conference. The word conference literally just made me think of like, yeah, come to the conference room. grab your, You can bring your lunch. We're going to have a lunch break today. So you got to just you know, <laughs> tell us what you know. Um, and then 
we don't learn all that much about first generation, but I would assume they are the leaders and um, perhaps in charge of the contracts. Although Tensoon wonders, does the first generation pay any attention to the first contract? And the first contract also just appears to be Contra can't kill each other. From context clues, that seems to be what it's implying. That's at least the uh, the most relevant point uh, here. There's also uh, something that he is uh, he's waiting for. Uh, he you know he's thinking they can't keep me in jail forever. I do need to, I, I will be able to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we we see a bit of. Uh, you know, we we've heard a lot about Kondra being you know, very very difficult to kill. We've seen it with with Tensoon, uh, but the uh, there there's acid involved, and this is this is very dangerous. Turns out, Kondra pretty much just tunes from Roger Rabbit. You know, <laughs> there's a non-zero amount of similarity they're, there. They're they're shape shifty, and they're almost completely invincible unless you dip them in acid. Hang on, uh. What was the what was the acid the dip the dip the dip yeah. I thought it was the soup for a second <laughs> I was gonna get all excited soup <laughs> it is no, hard to the... talk about soup yeah, I was gonna say we've had some thoughts about soup mm. acid soup delicious delicious the sinuses <laughs> for some reason this scene the part where uh the the uh, the conjure guard is like accept death. It reminded me of that scene in Step Brothers where Will Ferrell is is burying John C. Riley, and John C. Riley goes, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "I'm burying you." <laughs> ask like it's a, a stupid, stupid question. question. Yeah, <laughs> y- you might have meant to ask, "Why are you doing this?" <laughs> Except death. Acid torture aside, this scene rules. Like it's pretty cool. You get so much Condra lore packed into it. You get this like race against the clock moment of we're gonna kill you with acid now but according to the letter of the law you get some bones before we do so then Tensoon has to just like do some crazy body crafting speed run by just like getting a lung a trachea and a mouth out to to stop them because he's just that good at working that fast like it's so weird and so creepy and I dig it so much yeah, this was this was a really interesting scene. Cronenberg, when he manages to yell out judgment, they stop, and he he uh, whispers judgment one more time. And I believe that's the point where the person would say, "No, I don't think this movie is for me," and walk out. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't blame him. You know, the other thing is that I can see a scenario because we've mentioned that uh, in in Brandon's perfect adaptation world. Uh, we get a movie, a miniseries, and a movie. Uh, so it's very possible that somebody saw the first movie and then <laughs> Hero of Ages. <laughs> Man, I miss Kelsey, or they say, watching this <laughs> puddle of bones. I mean, I know there's an ample amount of people out there who haven't seen Loki and then saw Quantumania and are probably very confused. Yeah, that's just kind of... a a thing that's expected now. Gotta watch the miniseries. Can't skip it. But this is uh, this is the the gambit that Tensoon is is going for. Uh, he does manage to get just the the barest hint of a of a body form, uh, and calls for judgment. Uh, and we will have to see what that entails uh, later. In fact, much later. 
before we get back to that. Uh, on to uh, chapter three. Uh, our our epigraph here is kind of musings on what holding that power was like, uh, which is something that I I feel like we're going to need to hear a lot about because it is such a a drastically different experience. Yeah. Uh, this epigraph is interesting, I think. Uh, but at this point, it certainly still seems like Rashek, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm assuming you're going to bring that up later. I don't know. It's not theory time yet. All right, then. I I do like the uh, the introductory line of Chapter 3 itself, uh, where it is mentioning Ellen Venture, Second Emperor of the Final Empire. Uh, because in any sort of other historic context... Just the phrase second emperor uh, is missing the vast amount of context of the first emperor ruled for a thousand years and was supposed to be the only one. But it is true that he is the second emperor. It's also deeply fucked up and I missed, I passed over that. I was like, oh, yeah, he's mm-hmm. I was so into reading that I missed the fact that he's comparing himself almost favorably to the Lord Ruler. Well, he's not, but someone is. Well, it's also interesting because I think a little while later someone calls it the New Empire, and it's it's it is interesting in terms of we overthrew the government, we are currently fighting the apocalypse. At what point do we consider ourselves something brand new versus we're pretty much the same as what came before? Um, I think there is some interesting discussion to be had there. Um, but yeah, it's um, is this actually the the lineage of the final empire? It is a, a very interesting question. It does feel strange to call something the final empire and then have something and after have it. two emperors. That too, actually. Yeah, Either we... way is weird. <laughs> we need to like, it's like final 2.0. It's like the final empire delta variant. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I actually thought of it because I believe in episode nine, uh, the emperor calls it the final empire when he unleashes his fleet of star destroyers that secretly got built with no one knowing um and <laughs> somehow i just somehow palpatine had a fleet of star destroyers um <laughs> it, it is funny of like you know if you get defeated like you are setting yourself up for like there's no coming back from this like you calling it the final empire is that that's on you for calling it that and if you lose now <laughs> it's just it's just gonna be embarrassing if you try anything after that yeah a little bit i forgot that star wars episodes existed for a hot second and thought you were talking about episode nine of this podcast and then you said the word fleet of star destroyers and i went whoa so that was (laughs) that was the clue that was the clue huh (laughs) yeah I, i managed to pick up on subtle context clues and realize i was mistaken yeah so we we begin this this chapter with uh our first Alamantic battle. Uh, and we we don't have Ellen's Alamancy tutorial scene. Uh, we do have at least a little bit here uh, the the readers, right, there's Alamancy, here's a battle, here's some of the moving pieces, let's keep going. I do like, in Well of Ascension, I feel like the tutorial was very step-by-step of she burned this, and then she burned that. And by this point, it's just like, 
he did pewter. It's that one. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, there's eight more Colossus to focus on. You're, well, uh, once more, it's it's Mass Effect again. Of like in Mass Effect Two, there's a little bit of like, all right, we're being attacked. You do need to like get your gun out and start fighting back against these mechs. But like, there's time to chat, and we're like walking you through things a little bit, and and you know what, so you know what you're doing. In Mass Effect Three, it's like. Um, the entire Earth is being invaded by Reapers right now. You get a gun, shoot. Shoot them now. Shoot them right now, please. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, this, the Earth is falling apart around you. Run. Yeah. Um, Brandon does say that um, he did want to have a uh, a dramatic, alimantic fight near the beginning of the book um, just to to effectively set the tone there. Um, but was conscious that you know this is the third time through, uh, and we we have a lot of of plot threads that need to to kick into gear. Uh, so uh, he did not want this to to drag out too long. There's no good way to say it, but I did <laughs> I did make a joke here. Um, because there comes a point where Ellen like looks you know at there's the slow mo like thoughts of the person fighting and he ellen asks how did i get here and it immediately popped into my head once in a lifetime that's one of those songs that's it's very easy to to drop into isn't it (laughs) but but then later on and we'll get there when vin drops from the sky i wrote in my notes it's his beautiful wife this is his beautiful wife anyway yeah i mean we can (laughs) we can just kind of fast forward the the battle itself uh, because it is, you know, it is an elementic battle. It is a fight against some coloss. Uh, it is, it, it's, it's not like, it's a different mood than the one in um, at the end of Well of Ascension. Uh, but yeah, the the first dramatic turn is the the first of the armies has arrived, uh, which is uh, Vin Venture, Empress Vin. She was, yeah, she was called Empress last book already. So yeah, it's definitely the title. Mm-hmm. And so has arrived. And we, we cut back to see, uh, you know, from her perspective immediately before this, this arrival. And, you know, we, we have seen Ellen doing some allomancy and he is, uh, and, and we'll get into a little bit more of the, the discussion um, as we, as we go. Um, Ellen is very good at this already. Uh, which is a, a little strange, and and we'll talk about that. Uh, Vin is very good at this. Th- this is this is a force turning, or this is a tide turning when when she arrives. No, I was just gonna say she got the horseshoe you know, the horseshoe trick again. It's good to see it. Yeah, yeah. I I I like how Ellen's alamancy is handled, and I'll, I'll get into that more a little bit later once we you know see more what the heck is going on in his brain with his leadership and all that because i think it complements that well but i do like how the groundwork is getting laid here of you are in ellen's pov for the first part of this this fight and you see him fighting with just like brute sort of unrefined strength like there's a, a point where the force of one of his blows sends him a misborn burning pewter stumbling because he is clumsy somehow even with it and then vin shows up and it's just this gorgeous alimentic fight of iron and steel and constantly pushing and pulling showing that that you know while ellen's little 
magic bead may have given him brute strength, the finesse, the true mastery that still stays with Vin. And I, I think the difference in their fighting styles is a, a nice subtle way to start introducing that. Yeah, I'm thinking back to uh, a realization that Vin had in Final Empire, uh, which is that she was trained in iron and steel by Kelsier specifically, and those seemed to be his pinnacle. And so yeah. right when she arrived and and just starts taking every like tiny object that is that is in her vicinity and creating this this whole force herself it's it's really cool to see we also get a lot of killing coloss and then posing and i appreciate that vin <laughs> seems aware of how long it took to get the sword last book and so she's kind of speed running her way <laughs> to the cover of this book today that, that was you nice. want to pose with a sword here is a pose with a sword you're welcome <laughs> it's very polite i also i like the um the tidbit about how they seem to have noticed that Coloss do have a uh, an apparent direct correlation between size and strength. Uh, and so a Coloss just seeing Vin killing other Coloss is just baffling to them. They're like, this does not work. She is small, and yet she kills them. I do not understand. That is a good running <laughs> bit. I do like that. But we also, uh, we get to a, a thing that, that Sam uh, summarized as uh, Vin, murder is great and her purpose uh, yes. is she also seems to have a, a, a either, you know, pragmatic or uh, I don't know a, a better word to describe it in a more negative term view on this situation of if Ellen is leading the final empire uh, he needs he needs someone to do the stabbing and that's vin what would christianswers.net say about this where's the <laughs> lesson here brandon i i kind of hope you didn't go check <laughs> <laughs> no obviously no that would first of all i feel like um you know mormon though he may be i don't know if the religious crowd is really champing at the bit to to read these particular fantasy novels with murder and everything but uh, what the one where the uh force that is frequently referred to as god is the main antagonist of the third book i can't imagine why that would <laughs> not go down well so through all of this uh this elementic chaos uh there is uh, apparently a there is a plan that vin is is working towards uh, which is that uh, that she is trying to enrage the Coloss and and kind of focus focus them on her so that they fight her and not everyone else, uh, but also uh, to to get them into this this frenzy state where in a little bit we see uh, the realization that that saved Luthadel at the end of Final Empire. Uh, the the power of uh, derailment assisted emotional allomancy, Vin starts to take control uh, of the Coloss forces, uh, and that uh, is what really starts to to turn the tide, at least for for a moment there. And it is an interesting kind of mechanical change from what we've seen in Well of Ascension. I am hoping we get more kind of explanation of exactly what's happening here, because um, Vin specifies she has to make them afraid. 
before using her Duralumin to kind of change the tide. And I don't think she really made any of them afraid in Well of Ascension, but it seems like this is another like good indicator of like, here's what they've been up to in the past. Uh, uh, how long has it been? Two months? A couple of months. A couple months, okay. Um, clearly, this is not the first time they've fought Coloss, and Vin is starting to get it down to a science of what is the most efficient way to end this fight. Um, and I hope we get a little bit more discussion of how and why exactly this is the strategy, but it is cool to see that um, she's got a plan. Uh, the plan is somewhat concerning in that Vin is, is apparently very prepared uh, for the arrival of a Steel Inquisitor to try to turn this fight for the other side. Which, if your plan starts with attract the attention of a Steel Inquisitor, I question your judgment. Yeah. <laughs> Bad plan. <laughs> but this seems to be, I mean, obviously saving the, the city here is a, a good thing for the, the Empire, blah, 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 all that. Uh, but this seems to kind of be the point, at least in Vin's mind, is uh, can we get this Inquisitor to to come join the battle uh, and then can we kill him? Because it, it seems like on the the kind of Empire-wide scale, killing an Inquisitor is still a big deal. Let's see, what do we have here? Uh, in this fight, uh, we do have... Uh, and I need to check back on our previous predictions sheet because I know this was on here somewhere. Uh, we see Electrum, uh, which is an alloy of gold. I want to say that might have been Caleb. I, well, I don't know how much that was in the prediction sheet as much as it was in the uh, the oh, it was it was that too. at the back of yeah. the book, and we both were like, "Are we are we supposed to know that yet?" Yeah, it was also in the. Um, the alimantic table at the end of all of ascension yeah uh, and it's interesting because it, you can see in the different printings fortunately all of our books had the same printing uh but over the different printings of uh the different books uh you can see brandon kind of change his mind on how much uh info should be in those charts at which point but yeah we we see electrum here uh it is an alloy of gold uh, Ellen refers to it as poor man's ATM, uh, which is a funny way to refer to, like, Electrum is a real thing. It's an alloy of gold and silver, and it's a, you know, it's a precious metal. It's very expensive. Yeah, and I will fully admit, I uh, didn't know that. I thought it was, like, mostly a D&D &D thing, and it was, like, kind of an alchemy thing of, here's just a random <laughs> fantasy metal. It does sound a little more fantasy than a lot of other metals. Uh, but yes, the the use that we have here uh, is that it can at least uh, try to counteract an enemy who is burning ATM. Uh, because it is an alloy of gold, uh, it shows you uh, your own future, which I guess kind of enables anyone to do uh, Vin's trick with letting Zane's actions change her own actions to defeat someone with ATM is that now that you can see them as Electrum Shadows, you can react to what's happening, react to what's going to happen, uh, and aren't just kind of automatically dead to an enemy that has ATM if you don't. I think that's another sign of the stakes getting raised here, because 
Vin's lack of ATM was such a huge deal in Well of Ascension, and it was a constant fear. Like, if you go up against someone with ATM, you're dead. And that's just another indication here of, the stakes have been raised. We're more concerned. We have bigger concerns than ATM burners, even. Here's your solution. Yeah, there was part of me that was a little bit sad because I did think it was really cool in Well of Ascension of, like, Vin going through the process of testing out different alloys, trying to figure it out. Um, and I imagine she did the same here and we just skipped over it. But I did really like the kind of nitty gritty aspect of that in Will of Ascension. And here she just has it already. Um, That's fair. Slight bummer, although it might have been boring to see the same process again. Um, and another thing I thought of is I'm okay with it because it makes it cool and it makes action scenes cool. Um, it is slightly funny to me that Atium and Electrum like show you uh, uh, so gold and maladium show you like your past but it can be like decades in the past it shows the lord ruler from a century ago right um and that's what allows vin to, to figure everything out and then adium and electrum are like you can see the next three seconds maybe that's that's as far <laughs> as we're gonna let you see yeah it is um it is interesting to to have this uh brought up this early in the book as kind of like yep this is a thing that's happening uh we're just gonna keep going with it Brandon does mention that um, he he had to bring it. He had to be kind of careful in when he brought it up um, because it it does negate some of the importance of of ATM, uh, but it also does need to be like a relevant thing. So <laughs> it's a it's a balancing act. And then we have Brandon providing the very bare bones amount of context to any new readers possible before Vin goes, no, we're not doing that. We're fighting. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that happens. So, yeah, we, I mean, we get kind of, we, we've seen a couple of the different variants of here is what Alimantic fights look like. Um, we, we now have the, the more high stakes kind of dual of uh the inquisitor uh there's there's a couple of of changes here that make this even harder than before uh one is that they've uh, they've gone with the very mundane solution of uh backplate armor so that you can't uh do what marsh did in final empire when he tore through like eight of them at once yep yep yeah, might want to fix that. <laughs> they realized with the Star Wars Empire could not of, hey, it's a design flaw. We should cover that up with something. <laughs> yeah, if there's a weak spot, how? what if I simply didn't have a weak spot? So there. I, I would simply choose not to. <laughs> Rip to my eight dead brethren, but I'm different. Exactly. Uh, the other thing uh, that we have... Uh, and this is this is something that that Sam you mentioned you wanted to bring up uh, is uh, this inquisitor moves very quickly, uh, and Vin notes this is not this is not a, a pewter sprint this isn't Duralumin pewter, uh, and I don't think she calls it out, uh, but but we might is that sure seems like ferrochemical steel. And that's a very bad thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's bad. And then he's dead before we even get to appreciate what happened. Nothing personnel, <laughs> kid. 
Like, Jesus, I, I'm just so o- underwhelmed here. Because, like, th- there needs to be an appropriate amount of space between setup and payoff here. Uh, Marsh, you know, is turning these uh, keepers into inquisitors. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. You fight one. It gets away is what I think would be a good thing to do because, like, oh, holy shit, we couldn't even kill this thing. But no, it just uh, flatlines the fucker with a Koloss sword to the face. I, I just come on you're setting up this thing that's like even oh, like holy shit inquisitors are strong but these guys are way beyond nope call sword eat eat steel kid like <laughs> i don't know i see what you're saying and i i kind i kind of agree you know both i think both of us were really hoping for for fair chemical inquisitors and to have the big reveal happen and then 10 seconds later he's dead um i assume we will see more of them and they will be we will get more cool action scenes out of them but i kind of see what you're saying that being said being killed rather than running away does provide a very important detail that i don't think brandon could have put in there if the inquisitor was going to run away um which is that at one point uh after he loses his axes the inquisitor tries to stab ellen with a metal spike uh in the back which is an interesting uh, thing for an Inquisitor to be doing, given what we've seen. Yeah, that's concerning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He just had a spare leg around. Might as well use one this. Of, one of his got knocked out, and he's like, well, I can't feel my arm anymore, but I might as well use this. <laughs> ah, jeez, how embarrassing. <laughs> I lost Spike. It does kind of uh, raise the question, though. Obviously, we know very little about the mechanics of hemology at this point, uh, but in the prologue, this seemed like, uh, for all of its gruesomeness, a a fairly um, exact process. Like, Marsh was picking a specific spot. He had a very specific spike. Uh, and this guy, th- this Inquisitor here, just kind of goes for a stab. So, uh, going to have to see what the, the, the process was there, what was going on. And then Ellen DeSue wins. He's so powerful. He does have a strange amount of elementic power that we are definitely going to have to figure out what uh, the consequence is there. To be fair, he did need the assist from Vin, which actually does make it more frustrating that the chapter ends with Ellen had one. No, he didn't. Vin had one. Let's be real. Now we're back on old fashioned, always another podcast of let's give Vin the credit here in this relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th- even I agree with that, and I think y'all need to calm down about it. <laughs> Vin deserves more cred. Always. So far, my tongue-in-cheek refrain in this book is, this is boring, but okay. <laughs> so... I'm actually in a different camp of the whole thing with Ellen. I don't find boring. As I said, I'm interested to see where it goes. However, if we're going by baseline definitions, he is a literal fascist right now. And I don't like that. Well, yep. what I'm Do saying is like, I, the, the fact that he's got all this power, I don't know. And it's tongue in cheek. Like, I'm just being silly. Like, this is really, it's an interesting book. It's good. But there's, you know, we spent the whole book talking about how it's cool to not have powers too sometimes. But now you got powers. All right. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> interesting. We'll we'll have to see more of it. Oh yeah, I'm here for it. Uh, to chapter four for our final chapter of the section, 
uh, and the epigraph that throws a big wrench into uh, some of the plans uh, when we say this is actually what happened to Rashik. Happened to who? Right, presumably <laughs> Excuse me? not uh, writing in a weird third-person POV here. We've, we've learned something. The Lord Ruler was in fact Rashik II. <laughs> No, that's a twist, it would so. be funny. Not only would this mean this guy's writing in the third person, it would also be like, I I think this is what happened to me. I don't actually know. I was there. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, identity of our epigraph writer aside. There's some what what I like as some really interesting uh, history of of Skadrial world building here of in this theory that's. Uh, that that's being spun up uh is that uh Rashik moved the entire planet closer to the sun to try to get rid of the mists uh but he overshot the planet got too hot and then the ash mounts were a a solution to that of blotting out the sun so that it it was at least still habitable this is like the stupidest solution possible. Like, I'll burn away the mist by by shoving the planet into the sun. It does seem like a bit of a haphazard way to go about this, doesn't it? A little bit. There's a very good Simpsons bit about um, coming up with a solution. That solution becomes its own problem, and then you have to come up with a different solution. And I forget like what the start of it was, what the exact chain of events is, but I remember... Um, it ends with releasing a bunch of bears into the town to take care of the problem. And then they're like, well, what do we do about the bears? Oh, well, that's the perfect thing. When the winter comes, the bears will just freeze to death. <laughs> Rashak didn't use enough bears. It was it's true. Problem. Honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, we also get um, the mountains erupted, spewing ash and smoke into the air. And that is what turned the sun red. Hey which, which was a prediction I had. That's why I'm being so smug about saying that. <laughs> oh all right uh, i do see in particular that you had a, a prediction on that getting fixed at some point so we'll have to see if that could could ever happen uh but the the cause at least is is set up mm -hmm. this i i've said repeatedly i love these epigraphs they are meaty if only because in books like we got a lot of like vague but interesting lore in book one we got some a lot of frustrating hashtag lendy facts in book two and now it's like here's where the planet is in the sky also it was moved <laughs> I, yeah. it, it, I imagine it will be a long time before the epigraph writer identifies themselves but it is nice that they're really just giving us information directly that is interesting to us instead of being super vague <laughs> yeah i mean i mean and weirdly, like, we're getting all this information and it doesn't, like, it, especially with the, the drastic swerve of this is what happened to Rashik, uh, you'd think with all this information, it'd be more clear what's going on. Nope. Uh, so for chapter four, we are going to uh, rejoin some more of our characters from the, the previous books. Uh, we have Sazed, uh, who is now the chief ambassador of the new empire. Of the, of new, the new empire. empire. Yeah, got some some branding going on there. Branding. <laughs> Chipmunk Brandon. Hey, Justin, if you do manage to get the chipmunk audio, I, please slip it back for that one word. Okay, I'll see what I can do. 
this episode is gonna suck for you to edit i'm sorry mon frere <laughs> i'll deal with it <laughs> yeah listeners our audio issues have not abated <laughs> <laughs> no they haven't gotten worse though so we have that that's, that's true uh, so yeah, and we're going to again harsh mood whiplash back, uh, because what Sazed, chief ambassador of the New Empire, is uh, engaged with, is a very scholarly crisis of faith. Uh, he <laughs> is what he's doing is he's going over uh, the long form written out, I guess, transcript of his whole archive of religions. Uh, and he's gone from, uh, you know, I believe in all of them to trying to, to scientifically prove what God is right. And it's not working. Yep. At first I thought he was writing about the Kansi religion. And then I realized, nope, just going over all the religions he knows and trying to see if he gives a fuck about any of them anymore. Just really sad. <laughs> Yeah, there's kind of an edgelordy energy of like, well, no, that doesn't work. So that's, the you know, I just throw that out the window. Um, but it's in a way I really enjoy. And it definitely lines up with where we left him off last book. Um, I am, there's a lot about Says that I'm curious to see where his character will go. But at the end of the day, I do hope that he discovers the true meaning of Christmas by the end of the book. That's my main hope. <laughs> God bless us, every scar. <laughs> You cannot bring Christmas Carol into my house. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Terrace and Sazed! <laughs> chipmunk, chipmunk version is not good. <laughs> uh, Justin, save us. I'm Help. gonna try my damnedest. <laughs> uh, yeah, and oh hey, here's what I can distract us with. Uh, he is joined by Breeze, who is eating grapes. Great! And drinking grapes. <laughs> and drinking grapes, drinking yeah. Grapes. And Brandon mentions it every single time Breeze says anything. Either which... the wine or the grapes or both. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and let me give him props here because I'm here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that Breeze is fucking devouring these two food items um, because that sure is how it's reading. <laughs> He's just we'll shuffling to, them in uh, his mouth. We'll have to uh, wait for the the screen adaptation of this <laughs> see him this go full on sponsored by big grape uh, but later on in my notes i literally wrote yes we know breeze is eating grapes we get it <laughs> it's it's so fascinating to read these books with newcomers because they pick up on things that you never did for example i did not clock even one mention of the grapes <laughs> And it has proved to be a source of torture for you, Sam. He sips his wine, he eats his grapes, he pops another grape in his mouth, he takes another drink of wine. <laughs> okay. Ugh, he's on a gluttonous rampage. <laughs> Although grapes he's are very get healthy. He's got some weight back. It says he, he lost a bunch after Luthadel. Each grape is could... 0.6 calories, so... He could not be snack. described as portly, though. He's He's... he's put it back on good yay welcome back matt berry <laughs> joking aside i am a little bit disappointed like when we left breeze in well of ascension he was just 
utterly psychically crushed. And I love Breeze, so clearly I'm glad he's feeling better. But it is a little jarring to be like, but he got better, and now he's back, and he's portly and eating grapes. Yeah. I I kind of agree, but at the other on the other hand, I I'm I'm hoping maybe this is what you were about to say, Sam. I'm hoping that we see a little bit more of like his mindset and see how he's actually dealt with it uh, uh, over the over the months. Um, I feel like he is a little bit more mature in this chapter than he used to be. I feel like he has changed a little bit in kind of subtle ways. And That's fair. I don't know. I also just feel like he had a he had a panic attack and obviously that was one of his lowest points but you can recover from a panic attack fairly quickly so i i didn't quite see it as the battle of luthadel is going to be this massive turning point in his character and maybe instead just be like here's a moment where he went through a really rough time and he had to work through it a little bit and now he's he's breeze again but perhaps a little bit more mature about it i i was gonna say i'm hoping that there's like just cracks and that eventually he'll have a snapping moment and realize that he's not better. <laughs> that he does have the long-term damage. Could be too. I think that could also be that could that could be interesting if he if he realizes, oh no, I thought I was better, but I'm still experiencing trauma and I'm not okay with it. That could also be a really interesting place to take it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I hope we get more of Breeze. Uh, on that, I agree. <laughs> because I've said that, he will not be in a single other chapter of the entire book. I mean, this is how this works. We've established this. <laughs> Ugh. The next section Great. begins. Vin tried to cry at Breeze's <laughs> funeral. <laughs> Here, I'll say it right now so it doesn't come true. Breeze will die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cursing. I'm cursing that so it won't happen because I love you, Breeze. <laughs> cursing him with eternal life. <laughs> you That's what I did with Ham. It worked with Ham. <laughs> it worked it's with worked Ham. So, worked so far. Don't say so far. We know Ham's gonna live forever. You don't. You don't have to like sugarcoat it, Justin. We all know it's gonna happen. <laughs> He's doing the the old Lord Ruler one too. We all know it. <laughs> uh, I I will kind of. I, I hesitate to say distract us from this topic because I'm providing info on the actual scene in this book. Uh, but <laughs> there's a there's an interesting bit in the annotations. Um, Brandon has talked about. Um, a couple there's a couple of points in a couple of different books um where um he's talked about uh like major character beats or the ways that characters have come across that have changed in revisions um there's one in particular that we'll get to later when we actually get to way of kings uh bath i'm curious if you know this that um there at one point were Two, there are two characters in the finished book who at one point were the same character uh, and they were split apart because they had such contradictory views that it felt like the character was just arguing with themselves all the time. I did not know that. Yeah, it was... Um, Adolin didn't exist. Uh, Dalinar and Adolin were the same character, essentially. Well, one, that makes way sense to split them too good because i fucking love adolin so much <laughs> yeah he's great we'll get to that later uh but in this case yeah. the the change that brandon mentions uh is that um the first sazed pov that the original draft had uh started a kind of further along in in his search for truth and what is essentially uh his depression uh is that we we kind of started the book 
with Sazed in a pretty severe depressed state. Uh, and because of how much of the book there is to get through and how many things have to happen, uh, it was just difficult to, to read for that long. Uh, and so the the point where we we actually do uh, resume or where we do rejoin him in this book, uh, this is he's still in a in a phase of his his um, of what he's trying to get through that he's very actively trying to figure out a truth here, uh, and we see it kind of already not going well. Uh, but I I do agree with Brandon that it was important to see at least this part of it first. Mm. Speaking of uh, characters who have to deal with depression, we'll get to that when we read some Stormlight. Oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is you know, these are these are some of the things that uh, that Sazed is trying to work through. Uh, they are here to secure. Uh, they are in Lacal City. Uh, they're trying to secure an alliance with King Lacal, who does still rule over this this portion of the Final Empire. Uh, and it's it's tricky for Sazed to kind of put his mind to this. Uh, you know, he's he's too polite to eavesdrop, which Breeze doesn't think makes any sense. He's he's definitely not in the mood to uh, try to pitch Breeze on a religion, uh, which Breeze is definitely like trying to to help Sazed here, and it's it's unfortunate that it, it is not going to work right now. Yeah, there is a point where. Um... Breeze says, why don't you try to convert me, you know, for old time's sake. And Sazed says out loud, I don't think so, Breeze. And then Sazed thinks for like two minutes. And then it cuts back to the conversation of Breeze saying, well, aren't you going to tell me about a religion? It's like, Breeze, did you not hear? His like, he said no already. <laughs> yeah. We do see, though, that uh, Sazed does have a, he still does have a good read on the people around him. Uh, in which he he cuts right to the heart of it of of all the image that he portrays aside, uh, Breeze is a uh, a good man at heart and wants the best for the people around him, uh, and and Breeze feels called out by this, but also does not deny it. And here we get more discussions of imperialism and. Is it for the best? If the, they mentioned that King Lacal is a dictator in the first place. So, like, if you take if you're a dictator, but you're taking over another dictator, is that okay? And also, if you threaten them, but you also are offering protection, is it for the best? And I think Sazed and Breeze are both. They fall on different sides of the issue, but both of them are like, eh, you know, it's 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 for the best of the people of the city, and that's what's important. Um, Sazed's not a hundred percent sure about that, but these are some of the discussions that are akin to what i was bringing up earlier of an empire is an empire and there's there's still something inherently uncomfortable about that idea um and having like the chief ambassador of the empire be thinking about that is yeah it's some interesting uh, uh conversations to be having mm -hmm. for sure uh, before we close this chapter uh we get some uh some kind of unexpected uh not full-on uh you know um chondra cronenberg body horror uh, but we do get the note that at one point uh the the set of metal mind rings that uh marsh impaled sazed with 
uh, they've been surgically removed. So that would have been fun. <laughs> Land sakes. Poor Sadie. What, having pieces of metal removed from your body? What's so, what's so wrong about having pieces of heavy metals just embedded in your body? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it says Vin is... Vin says he should have kept them in. <laughs> yeah, Vin uh, definitely has the, the pragmatist mindset there. Even Min says that you could be just like the Lord Ruler was. Which is such a you great You are a terrorist this whole damn time. <laughs> I, I don't... It says it's, just because he has the rings inside of him doesn't make him an Alamancer, though. That was kind of the key to the Lord Ruler's whole deal. Oh. But he had metal mines piercing his arms. It's true. And then Vin drew upon the mists. Will she draw upon the mists again? Who knows? No, it'll never come up again. Ever. <laughs> She didn't in the last book, right? She notably did not draw upon the mists. Like, she tried, but didn't. She tried and failed. And then at the end, when we were with, with peak Silent Hill protagonist Vin, uh, <laughs> she thought she felt the mists guiding her, and Ellen said they looked like they were specifically avoiding her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. We do also get my favorite line of this whole section of saying you're not meant to be an atheist says it i have a feeling you'll be no good at it it doesn't suit you at all you'll come around eventually um which yeah i don't i feel like that's a line that final empire breeze wouldn't have said out loud and i feel like that's in of itself is showing kind of the two of them growing closer and breeze actually being like a normal human and a normal friend instead of <laughs> trying to be the fancy uh fancy wine man the whole time in spite of all the grapes in spite of the grapes. The grapes. <laughs> grapes tumbled from Breeze's mouth as he spoke. <laughs> Half-chewed grapes. Grapes <laughs> fell from the sky. <laughs> but just before we uh, we wrap up the chapter, uh, we see that apparently uh, this is the, the political state right now, uh, is that uh, King Lacal has been convinced intimidated influenced etc uh has has signed the treaty uh, and ceded control of his lands to uh the new empire it's a very small detail but the detail of his signature was small almost cramped in the large space allotted is such a good detail of yeah this guy they're really putting the pressure on really well and this guy does not even feel like he is you know a big presence he, he feels the need to just very kind of almost embarrass uh, in an embarrassed manner, write his signature on this thing. So uh, this is where we wrap up our section. Uh, we've had, if you count the, the prologue, uh, we've had four, uh, we've had four lines introduced here. We have Marsh and by extension, the Inquisitors uh, who are, another step gone i guess beyond where we saw them last uh we have vin and elland and the the force of the empire uh, we have ten soon and all of the things that we would very much like to learn about Condra there uh, <laughs> and we have uh Cezid and breeze and probably some others uh in the 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 more uh, at the table political aspect of it uh, and I'm not going to go down exhaustively of like what other threads we have. I can think of at least a couple others that we're going to have to get to at some point. Uh, but at this point, we have a pretty good uh, 
a pretty good set to get us started, I think. An, an opening foray. You know, I need to know how the Church of Ham is going. I'm excited to check in on that. Um, and there is actually another plot line that is related to the Inquisitor thing um, that we actually kind of glossed over in the recap. But we did find out a little bit about Ruin and how Ruin is apparently waiting for something. I believe something to be brought to it um, because it cannot achieve its full power just yet. Um, and again, presumably that will be tied in with Marsh's storyline and the Inquisitor's storyline. But that's that feels like important information to keep in mind. I'm, I'm curious where that's going to go. Yeah, I mean, that seems like the the big ticket thing that we're going to have to really have our eye out for is uh, you know, I say this like we have any influence as readers uh, but what can we learn about Ruin and can we figure it out in time to not have the end of the world happen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh that. So uh, we do have a, we're starting a new book, which means we are going to revive the the casting discussion that kind of petered off at the end of uh, the, the last book as characters get, as we, we kind of solidify who we're going to be focusing on. Uh, nothing yet major. Uh, there are definitely some characters that we have yet to meet that are going to play like significant roles. Uh, but we did have a couple of newcomers here in the uh the the battle that vin and ellen are conducting so i can uh, i can again open the floor to to casting uh and then we can get on to predictions that i know there's a couple of things that i think people have ready to talk about sure uh i'll do casting first okay as is your right yeah so uh for Fatron, I was thinking Chris Sullivan, a.k.a. Taserface from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Um, kind of like, because Fatron uh, is described as like a kind of a, a heavier set gentleman. Um, and yet still, you know, intimidating and yet leaderly and whatever. So Chris Sullivan kind of fits that bill. Okay. Um, Druffle. Uh, guess what? Alec Manoa. That's right. More baseball players. Can't go Deal with it. Gotta happen. <laughs> and you know what? Every casting director in Hollywood, you better get Alec Manoa on the phone. You're sleeping on the vast untapped world of Major League Baseball. Exactly. Like, listen, listen, Dan Vogelbach. We just need you for two movies, or rather, one movie and a full miniseries. And you'll only be in like two episodes of the miniseries. That's right. And you'll grumble the whole time in the miniseries. That's all you'll do. There's a non... I feel like it's usually basketball. There is a, a statistically significant number of basketball players who have made the uh, the leap to the stage. Doesn't seem like many other athletes. It depends on what you consider athlete, but wrestling is a very yes. easy avenue for yes. uh, getting into uh, Hollywood. After the Cubs won the World Series, they kept putting them in the, like, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD things. Nice. <laughs> uh, they looked horrendously uncomfortable. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about <laughs> terrible local commercials. Oh, uh, no. I, I'm not going to sully Javier Baez's name by bringing those up. I was thinking of uh, uh, Joe Madden and a bottle of champagne. 
when Binny's is hustling for you? It's the thing. Or let's not forget the other hit Binny's commercial in which generic, not actual cub actor dressed in cub uniform uh, rounds the bases uh, because Binny's is hustling for you. There's a whole story there that we do not have time to get into. There's a saga. We have intense local references here. And then Tensoon. Tensoon is a glob. Tensoon is, in fact, a puddle of muscles at this point right so there's no actor that looks quite like that you know <laughs> understandable like, you know it, but, uh, but what i was picturing in my brain uh and i know it's a little bit different uh but what i was picturing was the monolith from monster rancher it's which is just a, a monolith thing but it has like faces and like tendrils and stuff that come out of it um that's concerning that's what i was picturing we could get him on the phone, I think. Yeah. Get the get that on the phone. He's seeing like a rectangle. <laughs> yeah. Um but in the actual animation you can see it in like the Google images stuff. Like f- a face comes out of it and like tendrils come out of it and all sorts of other stuff. So That's distressing. Yeah. What it's fun. A spooky. All right. Uh I think that's it so far. Um mostly we're rejoining the cast that we know. So we will we'll see where that progresses to. Uh, Caleb, I imagine you have roughly the same list. Yeah, just the just those two guys. I don't have anyone for ten soon yet. Um, I will. There's there's some backstory to me choosing these two. Um, in that I was vaguely aware of Key and Peele growing up. Uh, I saw like a couple of YouTube clips, but my first like big introduction to them was actually on the show Fargo, in which they play comic relief characters but they are still very much like in a dramatic show as part of a dramatic Mm storyline um and over time realizing that they were usually that they were mostly known for like silly youtube skits and stuff um was kind of an interesting revelation so i thought to myself you know what if we get Uh, fatran and truffle have a very those two guys dynamic i feel like and so Mm -hmm. for a second i was like we get get key and peel for that maybe but then i realized we could definitely save those two for bigger better parts um and no disrespect to who i chose instead but i chose uh two other people who are a pair of comedy folks um who have gone on to do slightly more dramatic roles um i went with tim and eric from the tim and eric show uh for okay uh respectively or does it not even matter which is which i i have i i i think it's interesting because i've seen eric do more dramatic stuff uh the only thing that was not technically funny i've seen tim heidecker do was his three second cameo in ant-man and the wasp um in which he has no lines he just sees ant-man do something and then the camera cuts away from him um (laughs) but i don't know i think i I still have tim as fat trend which is the meteor of the two roles um and i think eric could take truffle okay i i do like looking out for a uh those two guys Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm All right. I'd like to know what you think about uh, what's going to happen so far. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have some some short term predictions uh, on like the the mechanics of what Ellen and Vin are going to have to do, things like that. Um, but I'm guessing that already uh, we've got some uh, some some longer shots, and I'm curious as to what uh what we've got in store there all right let me let me rattle off stuff 
Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna s- skip around, do some stuff, uh, and not say everything that I wrote because everything that I wrote is basically just establishing stuff. Um, TLDR: Rashek is kind of an impetuous dumbass so far. Uh, but <laughs> duly noted. <laughs> I did have the thought, like, I wish the epigraph writer was a little bit sassier and was like, he tried to move the planet, but he went too close and started burning everything. The fucking idiot. <laughs> what a, what a fucker. Uh, <laughs> what a piss ant. Anyway, uh, let me so see. Ratchet so, uh, is confirmed. Well, yeah, maybe Phylon was Rashik. Uh, all right. So, what do we know about epigraph person? Uh, they don't want to be the hero of ages. We don't know why not yet. Um, came after Rashik chronologically, which means it's either the epigraphs are concurrent, going on right now, or stay tuned for the uh, alternative. Um, the epigraph person is aware of the legend and the history, uh, though perhaps that is because Ruin gave it that knowledge. Who knows? Um, and is seemingly pretty thoughtful about the consequences of it, of his or her actions. Therefore, maybe not stupid or at least kind of patient. Okay. So, who is it? Uh, it's not Rashik because it'd be weird, as we've it, established. It yes. <laughs> uh and it's also not Fedek or any other member of the party, uh, of uh, Alendi's party, because they would be dead of old age, um, presumably. So, It has uh, been a thousand was. years. Yes. Uh, and at this point, I'm going to say it is too early for me to predict. Okay. Uh, we don't know enough. But here's I'm going to put I'm going to put a ten dollar chip. On the roulette wheel. Okay. Right? I was going to say, I imagine you have a candidate or two that you might be looking for uh, evidence for or against. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to put... Here, actually, I'll, I'll put two chips on. I'm okay. going to put a $10 chip on one and a $1 chip on the other. Okay. $10 chip is on this... The, uh, the new Ruin host which presumably is this new hero of ages um is someone we haven't met yet and i think they might be an inquisitor okay uh, because um you know the ruin already controls inquisitors i don't know it kind of works out that way um we know it's not marsh because if it was marsh we'd know by now <laughs> yep. i'm guessing <laughs> uh and then i'm going to put a dollar chip here's ooh this is my my fancy little dollar chip. I'm putting it on the hype the the <laughs> proverbial double zero here. Like what? Um but yeah, I'm putting a dollar chip on the Lord Ruler wasn't Rashik, but rather whoever is writing the epigraphs now. Um there's not a lot of stakes on it, but maybe that's the case. Um so it's possible that like, you know, while Rashik was doing his whole let me fuck up the world on accident thing, um <laughs> this person snuck in, took the power for themselves and then uh was the actual leader and my strongest predictor of this is uh if you are such a moron that you think that the way to stop the mists is by burning them away by moving the world closer to the sun how could you run an empire for a thousand years (laughs) there's a there's a, a a jump in intelligence that i don't see there um so that's my my dollar chip but it is just a dollar. Yeah, I, I will say it's not my main prediction, but that thought did occur to me, Sam, that perhaps there is the there is still more about the Lord Ruler slash Rashek 
reveal that has not yet been revealed. Um, that that is also something I pondered. Um, and apart from that, that was my big heavy hitter prediction here. Um, and then my other predictions. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tensoon's not gonna die. Whew. Big prediction there. I know it's bold. Um, we did definitely forget to bring up Tensoon when it was like, who do you think's gonna die? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, Tensoon's not gonna die. Uh, yet at least. Uh, we're gonna see more of him. Big prediction. Big moves. Uh. And then my hopeful prediction here. I have a hopeful prediction and I have a not hopeful prediction. Okay. My hopeful prediction is Marsh is going to do a late game face turn, please. All right. Um, and my evidence for this being uh, if he's strong enough to resist Ruin when Ruin is like directly supervising him, then he's there's bound to be a point where Ruin slips up and Marsh can slip out. Um, I will say I agree with you from a like a dramatic sense of that would make a good story beat. <laughs> yeah, just bam, slip those surly bonds. Um, <laughs> and then I have uh, I have a nap bim. I have a not an actual prediction, but I'm mad. Okay, yeah. what is it that is irritating you in particular here? It's it's gonna it's gonna come true because my Ellen Napbim came true, but here's my my Napbim. This one I don't I actually don't think is gonna happen. Um, says it will discover Mormonism, and the latter half of the book will just be the pearl of great price with name switch. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say straight out I would not subject you two to this series if that was the case. <laughs> Justin and I have been playing the long game to convert you to Mormonism as we are both devout believers. Damn it. They finally got to me. <laughs> I don't know how, but they found me. Uh, but Brandon Sanderson is is, uh, is Mormon, so maybe. And I didn't say Book of Mormon because that's a musical. Beth. <laughs> and I, I think, I to be fair, I think, is. I think at some point in this entire span of the podcast as we get our way through the Cosmere. I think we will probably touch on uh, Brandon's own beliefs and how they influence his writing. Uh, but to that drastic of, of an extent, I can safely say that's not what we're dealing with. Okay. <laughs> well, knocking on doors to convert people just doesn't seem to be working anymore. So I'm just going to write like a 3,000 pages about it. I'm going to play the long game. I I know it will uh, cause more jokes to be made about me. That is how Scientology caught on. Sure <laughs> is. Literally true. Yeah, L. Ron that Hubbard was a sci-fi writer. I have L. Ron Hubbard books in my antiques. I have more more lore about me. I have an antique sci-fi collection of, of That's old awesome. 50s sci-fi books. Um. And yeah, uh, L. Ron Hubbard books. I have a couple of them from before he became L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> he was just Hubbard before, but then he became L. Ron. <laughs> L. Ron. All right, then. Uh, yeah, I'll put that on our spreadsheet somewhere, I guess. <laughs> for for NAPBIMS, can I get points if it doesn't happen? <laughs> you know what? Sure. Wait! Like switch it. You need to you need to give like 
you you need to give like a an actual uh, i i say this now and and yet the one that you just gave is not perhaps the most realistic i was gonna say you can you can predict lots of things that you think aren't going to happen <laughs> all right fine never mind then but yeah mormonism but yeah, Mormonism. All right, Caleb, take it from there. <laughs> All right, okay. So, um, couple of couple of couple of smaller theories, and then one big one. I'm gonna I'm gonna point to the stands today. But um, first off, uh, let's let's go back to that moment of Ellen almost getting stabbed in the back with a spike. Um, that reminds me of someone else who apparently got stabbed with a spike, and that would be uh, one Zane. They've got um, something in common as brothers. Yay! I am curious if getting stabbed with just one special... So we know the Inquisitor process is way more intense. Becoming yes. an actual Inquisitor takes a lot. But from what we know, Zane only had the one spike. And that is what I think allowed Ruin to speak to him. So I'm curious if that's what the Inquisitor was trying to do, was get establish a link between Elend and Ruin. Um... I don't know exactly why that would be the case, although that does kind of tie into to some things I'm going to uh, talk about later. Um, it seems like that wouldn't on its own be all that helpful because Zane, as terrible as he was, was able to resist uh, Ruin telling him to kill everybody. Zane did not, surprisingly, didn't end up killing all that many people aside from, you know, all the people in Seth's army. Um he he was able to kind of resist the urge that Ruin was trying to feed into him. Um, so I don't think it's as simple as establish a link with Ruin and then Ruin will control Elend and everything will be okay because that did not work with Zane very well. Um, but I do think that's kind of what was going on there is I think if you get spiked in a certain way, um, it, it establishes a link. I don't know if it's necessarily a host situation like Sam mentioned, but it allows Ruin to talk to you at the very least and have some kind of um, presence within you. Um, so that's my thought there. Um, going back to the epigraph, um, sorry, the uh, prologue, not mm -hmm. epigraphs yet. Um, going back to the prologue, uh, we do mention um, Marsh talks about how Ruin, I believe Ruin can't do anything because there is a quote-unquote force that lay over the land like a shield or something along those lines. Um, uh, yes. There's an opposition that lay over the land like a shield. Um, that sounds a little bit like the good old deepness, uh, our good old mist buddies, which is making me wonder, maybe these are not two separate giant problems that need to be solved. Maybe the solution is to let them fight. Um, <laughs> and uh, perhaps even um, rather than... Um, how do I put this? Rather than defeat the deepness... Um, it is more going to be a matter of controlling the deepness and using it against Ruin. Um, and considering that this is the Mistborn series and there's an era two of Mistborn, it would make sense if the mists stuck around to some extent. Um, so maybe Endgame is not defeating the deepness, maybe it is using the deepness against Ruin. And that will allow Vin to draw on the mists again, which we've all been waiting for. We very much have. Okay. So, get a drink of water. What is it that you think, Caleb? <laughs> so, usually, 
the big attack on titan brain moments happen towards the end of the book and i'm usually able to predict one or two (laughs) big things right before they happen i did not expect to be going insane for episode one (laughs) of hero of ages It really just shows the escalation of Sanderson's signature style. <laughs> oh, absolutely. This early, you are driven to madness. Absolutely. Um, but I, I'm thinking about who our suspects are. We were all laughing about it a little bit, but one of my trains of thought was, d- after receiving the Ascension powers, did Lord Ruler consider himself a different person? Is there a chance this actually still is the same person viewing Rashek as a different person? I don't think that's the case, but I did have that thought. That was a possibility. Um, I also had the thought of Sam of maybe someone else became the Hero of Ages and potentially also became the Lord Ruler, um, and Rashek was still not um, who we thought he was. Um, In which case, that almost opens up the door for this to be Alendi speaking, because we never actually got confirmation that Rashek killed Alendi. Um, We We do kind of have... We've got a bit of a blind spot around that exact moment there right and like i said it would have been grim and perhaps grimly funny but we didn't see a skeleton in the well of ascension chamber and i i just kind of assumed there would be unless i guess maybe rashik like made sure that was taken care of but i figured i just feel like that would be beneath him i feel like that would be his mindset so i don't know um so i did have a thought it could be a lendy we're talking a lot about who the hero of ages is and for two books now, Sam and I have both thought Hero of Ages is obviously going to be Vin. It has to be Vin. Of course it's Vin. She's the main character. It's going to be Vin. So there's a chance Vin is writing these epigraphs, and this is uh, this is all looking back. Um, so, um, in fact, that, that almost kind of makes the most sense of who's going to be the Hero of Ages by the end of the book writing all of this. It's got to be Vin. It has to be Vin. But what if it's not Vin, though? So then I started thinking, are there other potential surprises as to who it could be? And that got me thinking, all right, well, we now have super uber powerful Mistborn Elend walking in. um, And he's, you know, the head of the empire and he is conquering lands and he has the magic within him. He has the allomantic power straight from the special bead. Um, So there's a chance it's Elend. And that actually fits with why the Inquisitor might want to establish a link with the purported Hero of Ages. um, Because Ruin knows it's not Vin. Ruin messed with the texts and was like, let's make them think it's Vin, but it's not Vin. But if Ruin is still worried about a hero of ages, he would want to keep an eye on that hero. So maybe the Inquisitors kind of have it in their heads uh, as, as orders from Ruin to like, keep an eye out for that Elend guy. And if you can, uh, if you can spike him, that, that might be handy to me. Um, so um, I was uh, thinking that might be Elend. I would be a little bit disappointed uh in that because i i am again i i am reserving judgment before i find out more but i do not love where ellen is starting in this book um and for him to take over the prophecy from vin essentially i think even if it's executed well the concept i still don't love um so i don't really want it to be ellen but i think that is a possibility but here's the thing i find myself in the same position as Straff Venture. And in almost all cases, I never want to be in that sort of position. That seems like a bad place to be. The specific position I'm talking about is, I am not sure if it is the scent of victory I smell on the horizon, or if I am simply smelling my own copium over and over. (laughs) 
but I find myself once more wanting to talk about Quan again. <laughs> because here's the thing. <laughs> Sorry, the noise Sam just made was very funny. Please continue. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. The, the page thing flips. about <laughs> the thing about the prophecy is I don't think Ruin just created the prophecy. I think it came from somewhere. And the title of the book is The Hero of Ages. So it's got to come from somewhere. So I found myself wondering, what do we actually know about the Hero of Ages prophecy? Well, we can't trust a lot of things. We can't trust a lot of things that were written down. But what we can hopefully trust is what Quan has to say about them. So I once more, again, went through every <laughs> single Well of Ascension epigraph and wrote down oh, no. every single thing I could find about the Hero of Ages prophecy. It could be none of this matters, but I did it. And I went back and I wrote it all down. That's like the motto of, of our podcast. It could be none of this matters, but I did it. But I did it. Um, so here's what we, here's what Quan saw in Elendi as like, this is what seems to be um, the, uh, 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 why Elendi fits what the Hero of Ages should be. Hero of Ages is probably tall. We don't know. That's, it seems that was the first <laughs> thing that Elendi found out. It's probably tall. Um, I have in my notes after probably tall, I also wrote, God, it takes Quan forever to get to the point. Um, probably not relevant to this, this particular revelation, but you want to get that down. It's, it's worth <laughs> noting. I have a tendency to ramble despite everything. <laughs> so born of a humble family, yet married the daughter of a king, um, trade words with the finest philosophers and had an impressive memory but was not argumentative the terrorists rejected him though he came to lead them he commanded kings though he sought no empire he fathered no children yet all the land became his progeny always claimed he was no warrior yet he came to fight as well as any man a force of leadership that fate itself seemed to support he left ruin in his wake that was interesting it's not capitalized but it does say uh he left ruin in his wake which i just thought was was uh, a fun little detail um, created kingdoms and destroyed them as he made the world anew. He had a birthmark on his arm. His hair turned gray at 25. The way he spoke, the way he treated people, the way he ruled. Now, looking over all of that, a couple of them seem to fit with Elend in terms of talks with philosophers and can talk with, with people. He's not super argumentative. Um, commanding kings, uh, claimed he was no warrior. We actually get in the uh, uh, in this chapter... Um, Elend was never meant to, he was not born a warrior. Um, so it does seem like point, things are sort of pointed in Elend's direction. And I do think, again, the storyline will revolve around other people starting to think Elend is the Hero of Ages. I think that's going to be an actual plot point. But I don't think Elend is the Hero of Ages. There is one person that I think a lot of those descriptions describe a little bit better. And once more, it could just be Copium. Sazed does fit quite a few of those descriptions. So my big uh, Grand Slam called shot is I think Sazed might be our Hero of Ages. Looking over things just a little bit more, um, Sazed is tall, um, towers over others. I don't know if that's the case, but I do believe he's been uh, referred to as tall a couple of times. Um, born of a humble family, probably true. We don't know much about Sazed's family. We just know about the terrorist people in general. Um, married the daughter of a king. 
not great. Doesn't quite fit with what we know about Seizet. Um, I did have the thought of that could end up being some much ado about nothing nonsense of he doesn't get married to the daughter of a king or the child of a king because again the gender is, is iffy in the old text. He technically marries the daughter or the son of a king to someone else. He performs the act of marriage. Um, so technically you could say that he fulfills that aspect of it. Um, trades words with the finest of philosophers had an impressive memory was not argumentative. All fits with Sezid. One very important one, the terrorists rejected him, though he came to lead them. He's not leading them yet, but oh boy, it's been repeated several times. The terrorists really don't like Sezid that much. Um, and then we get into some more abstracted territory. He commanded kings, though he saw no empire. He always claimed he was no warrior and he came to fight as well as any man. Um, created kingdoms and destroyed them. Now, Ellen is off taking over things town by town, helping people fight. But sure seems like Sezed is pulling a lot of weight by being the chief ambassador. And in a way, you could say he is destroying kingdoms by taking them over for the empire. He, he is the one commanding kings. That all seems to fit as well. We also know Sezed sure isn't going to be fathering any children. Um, so that definitely fits. Um... I actually looked back all the way in Final Empire to see what hair says it's, uh, what what color says its hair is, and I don't know if we ever get that official description. I don't know if his hair is white. I didn't. I, I don't think that's ever been confirmed or said at all. I don't know if he has a birthmark on his arm. Looking over everything, um, Justin and Beth, as baseball fans, you can let me know. I understand when batters are early in their career, the numbers could get messed with. Um, but a 4-1-1 batting average is pretty damn good. Am I right? That's quite high. I'm not going to argue with <laughs> that. That is very good, yes. Uh, numerically. probably good. <laughs> and probably good. Numerically, I get that the prophecy is every single thing is supposed to be fulfilled. But numerically, at this point in the book, Sezed is fulfilling about 0.411%. Uh, no, 41.1%. That would be way less if it was 0.411%. About 41% of all of the details we know about Quan's version of the Hero of Ages prophecy. And a lot of these he has the potential to fulfill through the rest of this book. So, yeah, I think we might be hearing about Sezed when we're reading these epigraphs. And looking back uh, to that chapter three uh, epigraph once more, there is a very specific detail about how it's written. In some ways, having such power was too overwhelming, comma, I think. Oh. Isn't that an interesting verbal tick? It sounds like you convinced about? Sam right there. Oh, yeah. well, I mean <laughs> All it took was an I think. Here's here's the here's the curveball. Doesn't the um Is it the epigraph from last book or is it some detail we learned in Hero of A Hero of Ages? Uh Final Empire that said that the uh, Hero of Ages was not a, a terrorisman. Tindwill says we know it won't be a terrorisman. Tindwill was also working off of texts that also could very well have been altered by Ruin. Oh, all right. Okay. Interesting. So that's all I've got. <laughs> just that. Just just <laughs> a, a potential, like, just huge impacting change on this book. Yeah. <laughs> so I went back and looked. When, when you... When you mentioned Sazed, when you went through all the, the people you thought it won't be, and then you mentioned Sazed, I went back and checked uh, because towards the end of uh, Well of Ascension, uh, we asked ahead of time 
what do you think is going to be the drill with the epigraphs in Hero of Ages? Um, and Caleb, there was a there was a theory that you were working towards, um, which was that uh, the the epigraph writers were all people who were were dead in some cases long dead but possibly more recently dead uh and so your working theory was that uh Sazed was going to die in the battle of luthadel and then we would see his writings as epigraphs and that seems to have a big wrench thrown into it when he you know lived um yep so <laughs> you there's you're now like you're coming back to this but from a completely different direction so i'm curious to see like what are we gonna see because this seems like a thing that you could definitely i mean this is kind of what our characters do with the prophecies as they know it and as it gets changed you know prophecies are by their nature kind of easy to read into mm -hmm. so like i kind of want to go through all the the upcoming epigraphs with the presupposition that it is Sazed or that it is Elland or that it is Vin. Like it could just be the thing that they think yeah. uh, and, and see like, is there a coherent argument if you come into it with that, that take on it? Yeah. And again, this could be copium because I realized when I came up with this theory, I realized like, man, that episode zero conversation is going to be really interesting because Sam and I were both like, yeah, it's probably going to be Rashek. And at the last second I was like, for the giggles, I'm going to say it says it instead. And again, could this could just be a hippocopium that is making me think I'm, uh, this theory is going to be correct. But um, if I am right, I imagine that conversation was really interesting. Um, it would probably was just hilarious uh, if I'm not right, um, as well as the past 10 minutes have probably been hilarious if I'm not right. But um, yeah, I did have that thought. And you mentioned like, what's the deal with the epigraphs is usually a twist with the epigraphs. That's what I think, like, I, I have that worked in, too, of I think we're going to be led to believe it's Ellen, and then the twist is that it says it. That is my official prediction. Okay. You have put so much work and thought into this, and it is tragic that it all came to me sounding like Alvin and his chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope for our listeners' sake that this episode does come out better in the edit, but I also kind of <laughs> hope that I get to leave a couple of these bits in because it's just hilarious. Man, we, you know, going back to the baseball metaphor here, we've just been swinging harder and harder earlier and earlier in the game. <laughs> Again, I did not expect to be going to this level of insanity in episode one, but here we are. This is this is like the first pitch of the game, and you're swinging at it like it's bottom of the ninth, and you're down by two or something. You know, like, we did what? mention Javi Baez. I think that's the problem. You're doing Javi Baez <laughs> swings, man. Hey. You're swinging with every fiber of muscle of your being. Are we are we shit talking Javi Baez, or should that be considered a good thing? It de it depends on whether he actually gets a hit. <laughs> I shudder to think what'll happen when the when this book throws you a slider. Hey, I've <laughs> seen him get base hits on a ball that was four inches off the plate. He, I think he set an he set an MLB record for the lowest pitch hit for a home run. I, think. <laughs> I love baseball. <laughs> Which I think stats. was it was uh, a couple inches off the ground, and he hit it for a home run. 
I love baseball is there, stats. Is there is there no better metaphor for the way I do theories of occasionally I hit a really impressive home run and the left the rest are just swings and a misses? <laughs> hey man, you've had some seriously awesome victories, all right? Like it's fun to watch you work. Just like Javi Baez, it's fun to watch him swing even when he whips. <laughs> all right. Uh yeah, no, I think we have prepared ourselves very nicely to to go further into this book uh to read some epigraphs very closely and you know the whole main body of the book as well <laughs> oh yeah that yeah oh yeah <laughs> that story. Thing. i'm just really hoping i can put well of ascension on the bookshelf and like actually keep it there now because <laughs> this is two episodes in a row where i was like i'm done with that uh, i don't need to deal with that shit i gotta look at it again Quan. Quan. it is so much easier from a position of not having to worry about being spoiled to just control F for the things that you want to know. <laughs> mm. All right. Uh, yeah. For our next section, uh, we're going to do another, about a third of part one. Uh, so it'll be chapters five through nine. Uh, and that will take us, uh, and, and then the following episode, we'll finish up the part. And from there, things will, will kind of pick up in terms of, of quantity and therefore pace of plot. Also, Brandon does that for us. We don't need to read more words for that to happen. But yeah, that's where we are going from here. Uh, I want to bring up, as we usually do, uh, that you can listen to our podcast uh, wherever you prefer to to get your podcasts or, or specifically on our website at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, as well as contact us by email at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, we uh, have some, we've got a couple of, of things that have been mentioned. Uh, I'm literally just checking now and uh, Beth, I have a thing to tell you about later. We'll get to that. Um, All right. You can also, uh, but I can also just say uh, uh, thank you again, Adam, for letting us know that you have uh listened to us get through well of ascension it was a lot of fun hey. Yay. Uh, but you can also uh, find us on our twitter at always another pod uh, beth i believe you mentioned you wanted to be a little more uh get get us some more some more interesting content up there by this point i will have made it more active i'm manifesting it now i have a document i have a planning document nothing can stop me now i made a list you know honestly i believe you and also on our instagram at always another pod where caleb continues to uh to document our our process through this book yeah the uh, instagram <laughs> will be as active as it usually is uh i cannot guarantee that the effort i put into my posts will be any higher because apparently people like it when the effort is lower so uh <laughs> just the shittiest memes i can think of uh are, are what's gonna be going up there it is a an unfortunate tragedy of the internet but let me tell you caleb i appreciate them thank you everyone go listen to soup talk it's great soup talk, great. <laughs> soup talk. thank you but yeah, that uh, that will do it for us on this episode. Uh, hopefully, in our next recording, we will not be distracted by weird, unexplainable audio bugs. Uh, but if we, <laughs> in fact, are, maybe it'll be the other two of us next time. If we are, we'll still <laughs> yeah, we'll still get through turn. it. We'll we'll make some uh, some some fun times with 
our reading of this book. And I will see you all later then. Oh, let's not forget the Hero of Ages needs an announcer. And who else could the announcer be but the real main character of the book, our Lord and Savior, Ham? Of course. Well, 